Welcome everyone to the Luke Cage podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt and joining me as always is Pete. Hello, Pete. Sweet sister, my brother, and all of our other listeners out there. Wow, that was quite a season of Luke Cage. Indeed, uh, taking a little bit of a re- retrospective as we look back on season one here. And Pete, let's uh, let's let's revisit that ending one more time. The notion that uh, you know what, for all the for all the good that goes on, sometimes you can't escape you can't escape a, a world where the baddies get elevated up to that up to that second balcony there at the club, and uh, and and it seems that that the bad guys aren't going punished, and the good guys are being taken away. How's that? How's that ending feeling now, Pete? I liked it when I watched it. I like it even more now. Uh, people are going to say, "Wow, did you know what was going to happen?" and and scripted in such a way. But clearly, in light of the conclusion of the United States political season, the ending of Luke Cage season one certainly has a different level of resonance. Yeah, I know that we had received a tweet akin to what you said, which is, you know, do you think he knew? Do you think Chio Hidari Coker knew? And and A, I, I doubt Mr. Uh, Coker was was thinking specifically of the election when ending this season, but uh, here's what I suspect he would say, Pete, to take things um, <laughs> perhaps just as seriously, but perhaps a bit less um, a bit less uh, immediate to to things in the news. I kind of took away some meaning that, you know what, Pete, people in the, the walk of life that, that Luke Cage find himself uh, in, which is a little bit different slice of life than, than you and I are in, um, to them, the, this slightly more pessimistic view that permeates the ending of the season, uh, I think that's a view that they're a little, little bit more used to. And the fact that, the fact that there's a whole bunch of people feeling pessimistic uh, this week, um, I, I guess, quite frankly... Uh, whichever side of the political aisle you're on, there's some sort of pessimism that you felt this week, um, either at the beginning of it or the end of it or or throughout. So I almost feel like there's a certain universality that comes across here, more so now than it did when we finished uh, episode 113 last Monday. It certainly makes a lot more sense at the same time when things seem senseless. Another uh, key element I think for this season was the way that Luke Cage the show uh, explored uh, the relationship between uh, between the, the common people, inner city people if you want to get that specific, uh, along with uh, police. And I know something that we highlighted throughout was uh, the show's uh, I, I dare say careful steps to not paint not paint all police with the same brush and not to paint quite frankly, all police as white. So what are your thoughts, Pete, as we kind of kind of conclude that, that message for the season? I think other than the over-the-top uh, metaphor of uh, a, a black man being bulletproof and, you know, the super strength and uh, maybe the way in which he wound up that way, I, I can't think of another show that really lays it out the way things are. And I so appreciated, you, you know, you mentioned the, the police. I so appreciated that they, they didn't uh, pull punches at the same time. I appreciate uh, 
how germane that presentation and the dialogue is within the setting of Harlem, which effectively functions as another character. I mean, yeah, we had explored Hell's Kitchen before through Daredevil and, you know, Manhattan a little bit more so than, uh, you know, Hell's Kitchen with Jessica Jones. But this, you know, super specific uh, neighborhood grounded uh, presentation complete with with all its foibles, uh, you know, the, the verisimilitude was was there and uh, unique to a certain place and time. And I mean, even moving away from, uh, shall we say, specific metaphors of, of the day, the notion that, that within, uh, within the community of Harlem, uh, indeed, perhaps with, uh, within every community, we have, um, we have some people taking advantage of, of the situation. Uh, I think of, um, I think of Cottonmouth. We have uh, politicians seemingly acting in the best interests, but ultimately, uh, ultimately seduced by power in Mariah Dillard. Um, it's it's easy to look for direct comparisons, but I think that uh, while everything that you said, Pete, is true, that Harlem is a character, and we're looking at that that specific neighborhood in 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 a really unique way in this show. There's also a universality there where. You say, you know, this this could be this could be my hometown too. Maybe maybe not this way or that way, but the the people there are, are people that you can find in any community. I think in light of the past couple of days, this was already a well watched show, and you know, well before this, TV magazine had called this the most important TV show of the year. I think it's going to take on even more meaning. I think it's going to gather even more eyeballs, Matt, in light of the last couple of days. Let's zoom in a little bit more, uh, take a little bit less of this uh, connection to our world here. Uh, I cannot think of another story arc. In this case, it's a season. You know, you have some shows that maybe run shorter seasons or do... Uh, do a longer story arc uh, across multiple seasons, whatever it might be. But I can't think of one where they present a bad guy, Cottonmouth, as the season-long bad guy, knowing that he is going to be taken away mid-season. That, 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 was, a, that was a huge surprise to me. And I dare say a narrative, a, a narrative move that is pretty bold. I think not only that, but giving you two villains – within the course of one season, really strong. I mean, you can point to Daredevil season two. You had Punisher and then you had Elektra, certainly in antagonistic roles. But what happens with each of them? They both come back to the good side here two straight up bad guys. Um, you know, the, the snake illusions and, and everything like that. And, you know, you got one for, Seven episodes, you got one for the remaining six. And, you know, they really just th – there's a balance. Uh, there's that twist. And you weren't left wanting. It's funny you should mention uh, Daredevil. I, I suppose on a certain um, story outline uh, take of it, yes, this is the same as Daredevil in that it's first half bad guy, second half bad guy. Uh, I think the difference is – the savvy the savvy audience for Daredevil didn't ever really believe that the Punisher was was really a bad guy. You know, yes, he shot up all these, 
you know, all these these hoods, but they're they're all bad Irish Irish mafia types. Um, so you don't kind of really buy the badness of it, and you're waiting for what's the sympathetic story? What's the, his family must have been killed somewhere? So you're kind of always rooting with him because you know the text. Uh, versus versus uh, with this, I mean, again, despite it being a similar a, a similar outline to Daredevil season two, um, to have had this prominent actor in Maharshala Ali, um, and then to, then to to beat him down midway midway through, it really is a daring it's a daring notion because I think that if this wasn't Netflix and binging and things of that sort, you may have run the risk of of off putting the audience. Let's not give Alfre Woodard short shrift either. You know, she's she's really the overarching big bad of all this. Yeah, she's not the physical threat like the two others. And you could argue even there, Cottonmouth wasn't so much of a physical threat either. But as a mastermind, as somebody who by the end of the season has embraced her badness, um, you know, we're going to see her again, Matt. Yeah, and that's that's something that I found interesting about the 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 ultimate conclusion of this season. That, with the exception of the death of Cottonmouth, they're really able to reset um, back to let's say the mid the mid season starting point. They can they can start again from episode one hundred seven one hundred eight with that set of of characters uh, for the most part. They they can start there in season two, which is also unique. Uh, starting point we're kind of so used to the 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 post broadcast network model where you know what pete when this one dies you say you say goodbye rick and that's it it's the end and there, there's kind of not going back uh with the exception of john snow no spoilers um or i guess retroactive spoiler alert but i mean point being most of the time these people stay dead or they stay out of the picture and the show can't reset uh, whereas this show can for season two. Well, you know, it'd be one thing if we were led to believe that one of those other two, that really three, you're going to throw shades in there too, were, were dead and gone. You know, maybe we could have written, you know, uh, Diamondback into a little bit more of a murky circumstance instead of alive in the hospital bed and the doctor who changed Luke Cage closing the door with somebody new to experiment on. So I appreciate the twist. Same, uh, you know, uh, token, I should say, we don't see a ton of twists coming. It is what it is when we end that season. Pete, let's talk, let's talk favorites for the season, uh, favorite characters, favorite episodes, uh, favorite moments. So, so take a pick from there. My uh, favorite episode, hands down, just because of the homage, the backstory, everything there is uh, the Seagate-centric step in the arena, um, complete with uh, Luke putting on the, the power tiara, uh, stealing somebody's laundry, and then you know playfully seeing how goofy it looks in a, in a car window and, and taking it off. I just really appreciated the the whole tone of it, the, the prison story. We had had it front loaded. And then by the time we get that, it's just so satisfying. I think that probably my favorite character, and this might be, this might be a strange choice, but probably my, my favorite character was 
was a detective scarf. There was just something about Frank Whaley's presentation the entire time, whether it was the workaday clean cop that we were first presented with and then the murky layers uh, therein. Um, I just thought that there was something so compelling about that character, the notion that there's this there's this unseen uh, but spoken about backstory regarding his uh, regarding his son, and just kind of this this you know the the hard boiled corrupt detective. It's such 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 a well worn trope, but it's like in this incredibly modern show that's trying to discuss forward thinking issues and trying to include flashy comic book stuff, uh, referencing alien metal occasionally you kind of find yourself looping back around and you get that, you know, 1930s detective who's just who's just no good, who's on the take. I mean, this show killed off three characters we were led to believe were stables of the series. Between Pop, between Scarf, between Cottonmouth. And I, I very much appreciated Frank Whaley in the role he was in. Um, certainly appreciated... Frankie face on in uh, the the brief role that uh, he fulfilled. Um, as as far as a, a character, I would point to. I think Mike Coulter just came into his own in such a way in this series. I mean, yes, he's the star. Yes, we had seen him in Jessica Jones, but he got to shine in a way he wasn't able to shine there. Obviously, it's her show. Shouldn't. And I'm just so excited for the team up with Danny Rand, with with the Iron Fist and and the Defenders and what kind of dynamic he's going to bring with those three other personalities. Yeah, in Jessica Jones, because of the nature of the story, uh, Coulter as an actor had the luxury to play Luke Cage kind of as the the mystery cowboy who's just rode into town uh, to use a use a, a Western metaphor there, which meant he didn't need to have all his cards on the table. Whereas in this, you're seeing the character more as a complete person and going through more, um, uh, you know, more of a journey in terms of uh, his community, his uh, certainly his range of emotions, his backstory, uh, and so forth. So, yeah, it, it, I mean, what a what a joy to see Mike Coulter really um, just kind of taking the full range of the character uh, for uh, for playing Luke Cage in this uh, in this first season of the show. A close second for me until the finale would be uh, Theo Rossi's Shades. I every time he was on stage on stage on screen, there was just this this cool energy that uh, emanated from him. I think it, it permeated a, a lot of the rest of the show. I've, I've never felt so cool watching a TV show in my life. Matt. <laughs> in fact, this is now usurped Daredevil's spot as my favorite Marvel TV show to this point. Um, you know, so much of it was the setting. So much of it was, was the dialogue and, and never, you know, I, I reflect back on the, the second episode where they're having this discussion about, you know, crime novelists and it, it, it doesn't pander to its viewer, uh, just presents it the way it is. And, you know, you're, you're, you're drawn, like, I don't know those names. I'm going to go find out those names. Um, and it, it just gives it a smartness and, a and, 
I think the only word cool that I can come up with. But um, until that finale, I really liked Theo Rossi's character and, and then the way things go. Plus, I think a little of it was the writing, the way he's able to get into a phone that would have otherwise locked. Yeah, as discussed for our uh, our podcast for episode 113, a little bit of, of the the, uh, the hand of the writer there, but as uh, as I have quoted before, uh, Ronald D. Moore of uh, Deep Space Nine and Battlestar Galactica fame, Outlander fame, has said you know, that you get to you get to show the hand of a writer once or twice a season, and the audience will put up with it. I think that we we could see the need for some sort of you know, it's time to wrap up this story this season uh, with with shades along with everyone else. Um, and and Pete, you were talking about the various novels that uh, that get mentioned. There is a grounding to this show that I think, uh, in a certain sense, it's the most grounded Marvel TV show yet. Um, and that's not necessarily a requirement uh, for. Uh, you know, depending what the show is, I think there's a certain levity, say that uh, that was befitting of Agent Carter. There's a certain um, kind of otherworldliness that Agents of Shield uh, requires. Um, Daredevil certainly, you know, you know, didn't have uh, blue people or uh, alien guns or things of that sort. But um, the powers certainly are fantastic to a certain point. Um, and uh, you know, with Jessica Jones kind of having this this bad guy who has superpowers himself, um, what's a step outside the world we live in? Um, with this, with the exception of Luke Cage, it's a very it's a very very human setting that they're in, and very very realistic and sympathetic uh, place that they're in. And I don't just mean Harlem; I just mean the slice of life that they're in. As I said at the top of this, that could easily be our world if not for the bulletproof man. Yeah, and the characters are so different than the ones we've we've seen to this point. It's not that a, a blind lawyer isn't believable, but it, it, it draws attention. It's not that a, a female private investigator isn't believable. Again, she stands out because of her attitude and the way she goes about her job being a functioning alcoholic. You look up and down the roster, and I'm not just talking about the featured actors on this show. You look up and down the roster uh, for this show, and you find believable character after believable character. You know, Rosario Dawson, her mom, you know, the, the supporting characters, you know, the vendor guy with the 4K camera. The people who work in the um, in Harlem's paradise, uh, the 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 cops. I think um, you know the the featured cops. We believe the other ones were kind of cookie cutter. All right, this is this is what a a stereotyped grizzled cop might do. And obviously, we've acknowledged throughout the course of the season some of the, the storytelling warts there, but. Um, yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with you as, as far as the grounding of the series. And I, for one, hope, Matt, there's there's more to come. Absolutely. And uh, though we are wrapping the, the season on this particular podcast episode, whether you are listening on the Luke Cage uh, podcast feed or the Pop Culture podcast feed, as soon as we hear more about... Uh, Luke Cage as a show, we will certainly update the feed. Uh, I mean, I think it's got to be a given that they're going to order a second season. 
um, <laughs> probably there are some people at Netflix that are like, wait, this Defenders thing was a good idea until we realized that now we can't do any of the other shows that feed into it. We can't do any shows kind of concurrent to that. Um, be- it is getting a little crowded on their schedule that the Punisher was such a breakout character and now has his own spinoff show. Now that Conviction, Matt, has uh, you know only been given its 13 episodes and no more, that, that um, Haley Atwell is going to be available, but really not much of a landing pad for Agent Carter, at least as far as Netflix and ABC having passed on it. You know, I, I, I think they have a, a scheduling problem of the of the best type, but I'm I'm worried that it's gonna be a long time before we get to see just this world, just this show again. Well, <laughs> on the topic of Agent Carter, given that given that uh, given that there's gonna be no Peggy Carter in Defenders, and given that she's uh, Haley Atwell is gonna have the spring available, I mean maybe that's the opportunity to do, you know, a uh, 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 a, a two-part, ninety minutes a piece, uh, you know, Netflix TV movie, Netflix movie, and TV movie, whatever you want to call it, you know, to to wrap up her story in the forties or whatever it might be, you know, just something where oh, it's not. she's going to pop up in flashback on Agents of Shield. I have no doubt about it. Absolutely, um, but anyhow, as as future news of Luke Cage happens, we will uh, we will dust off the Luke Cage feed. And, uh, of course, uh, let you fine listeners know as uh, Luke Cage and the Defenders, as information starts to form for that, uh, for that miniseries. And, um, Pete, it certainly has been a ton of fun podcasting Luke Cage all the way back uh, from September 30th to today, November uh, 11th. It's, uh, it's been quite a journey these past six weeks. Even before then, the buzz and the run-up to the show and everything right through being able to be at New York Comic Con in in the week after the, the show had hit in total and uh, you know be able to see um, Eric LeRae Harvey and and uh, you know a lot of the other talent there Coulter was there as well when they introduced all four defenders uh, publicly for the first time and now that we've got Sigourney Weaver as their still unnamed villain I think there's a lot of anticipation for their pending team up. Well, Pete, in the interim between this and, uh, of course, the return of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which you, you get on the Pop Culture Podcast feed or on the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, podcast feed, uh, between the interim of this and, uh, and Iron Fist, when that hits in March, and Defenders, I guess we're assuming, probably in the, uh, in the fall, uh, Smart Money is probably on Punisher in the summer, something like that. In the interim of all of that, Pete, how can people be in touch with you on Twitter to keep the party going? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 8,577 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter's Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast anytime your heart desires. We are Fantastic Geek. Fantastic with the PH. You can find us on fantasticgeek.com, fantasticgeek at gmail.com, fantasticgeek on Twitter and Instagram too. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com forward slash fantasticgeek with the PH, all one word. Like it. Be part of the club. Pete, 
one awesome season here. Can't wait to do it again when uh, Luke Cage Season 2 comes around. So with that, I will give you the final Season 1 word. Sweet Christmas. Sweet Christmas.